0: Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It's my pleasure to welcome back Simon Yagers to the podcast. Welcome back, Simon. Thank you, James. So previously, we had you on to talk about monitoring electrical systems with you know various technologies, trying to automate some of that with wireless sensors, those sorts of things.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: since we've talked about that, you've had... A, quite a bit of time to implement and refine the approach to implementing these types of programs, figuring out what works, what doesn't, and really how do we drive the benefit from there? And, you know, in our previous conversation before we started the podcast and we really talked about, we we hear a lot about from a high level, how do we implement these things, but what's the practical implementation method to get results from this type of monitoring technology? And that's how we came up with the podcast today. But yeah. before we get into that, You founded Semiotic Labs in early 2015, and I believe our podcast was 2018, 2019, somewhere in that range, if I remember. Yeah, that's correct. And and the goal there is to move towards predictive tech maintenance, online monitoring, those types of things. You're also a member of the Forbes Technology Council and a board member at the World Class Maintenance Foundation and the Dutch Maintenance Association. So very heavily involved in maintenance and technology. What else can you tell us about yourself and Semiotic Labs?
1: Well, James, first of all, by the time this will be this will air, uh, we have changed our name to Semotics, uh, and the reason for that really is that uh, it captures better what we do now: smart asset monitoring and, and, and analytics, and it cl- ties closely with our uh, core product, M um, four. But yeah, what, what we're really doing is, 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 again, is focusing on reliability, on sustainability, increasingly by using uh, energy monitoring to, uh, to, to uh, improve sustainability of, for our clients. Uh, we're now a team of uh, 54 people. We serve around uh, 85 clients in 10 countries, including uh, the US and Canada. Uh, and we have about three global partners uh, that sur- that sur- uh, offer SEM4 as part of their product catalog. So that's a, a quick sh- snapshot of the company.
0: All right. Excellent. And it sounds like you've been involved with maintenance for a period of time. How long have you actually been involved with maintenance reliability? Did it start before online monitoring?
1: No. I, I started uh, in January 2015, so uh, a bit over six years now.
0: Okay. Excellent. Now. With that being said, you've been involved with the technology side, with implementing these things since 2015. And the big question I always get asked is, it looks easy to buy some sensors, throw it on the machine and start monitoring monitoring things. But why is implementing technology so difficult for so many organizations? What's the challenge there?
1: Well, I think the the main challenge to a successful uh, implementation is that there typically are many stakeholders involved uh, and and many parts have to work together well, right? So from a stakeholder perspective, you typically have engineers, you have operators, you have IT, data security, and the installation team. And in our world, this world of sensors and AI, it involves sensors that have to work together with data acquisition devices, gateways, data communication, and all of that in a live production environment. So it is the combination of those factors that makes planning and safety critical, uh, but also makes ensures that with all of these moving parts, there are many ways it can go wrong. So it's not per se difficult as an individual step. Each individual step is well understood, but to make it work
0: together, uh, simply takes careful planning and, and and scripting. I agree 100%. It's not the individual task, but getting them all to come together. Um... I hear from clients all the time that talk about issues with IT or security um, and not being able to put stuff into their, their wireless system or different integrations to their CMMS or various other things. And a lot of it seems to come from a lack of understanding what maintenance is trying to do and needs IT to help with and maintenance understand what this is going to do for the business. It seems like there's a lot of issues with that IT slash operations or maintenance side, but getting on the same page. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, what does a good implementation process look like then? If we know the individual steps are easy, how do we get all this to come together? Well, to your
1: point, um, it, it, you need to involve several stakeholders. You need to have IT understand what maintenance is trying to do, and vice versa, uh, to create and build momentum. Right. So, I think it's it really starts with with the sales process. Um, you know, is this a problem that this technology can solve? So does it make sense to install um, uh, in any case, right? Um, Second, is there a good business case? Is this solution we're trying to install better than doing nothing and better than alternatives? And, you know, is IT on board once installed? Can we get the data to a place where it can be analyzed and presented Uh, In the form of information, for instance, about uh, the health or the energy consumption of your assets. And that sales process really is focused on ensuring that we can deliver on our promise. It creates typically enthusiasm and momentum. So all stakeholders, rightly said by you, need to understand the value of what it means to install. And then there's obviously the installation itself that needs to be scripted. So simply schedule a kickoff with stakeholders, schedule a site survey to know that, that everybody knows who does what, when, and why, but also from a site survey pers- perspective, how will we physically install these? It's easy to create a sort of an Excel waterfall uh, planning thing or something else, but you know, on the ground, you have to install the sensors on your machines. And that comes with a, a, a detailed installation plan. So I would say it is all around proper planning and preparation, making sure that you work on the right things and making sure that all stakeholders are involved of each other's tasks and responsibilities.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, aligning those stakeholders is critical. And I really like what you started off with your response. Does this make sense? So does technic- is it technically applicable is this gonna give us the type of data we're looking for? And then is there a business case? Oftentimes we can collect data, but there might not be a business case for it. Now, do you see that occurring? Do you see that occurring in organizations?
1: Well, you know, if, if, if,
0: if, yes,
1: yes, it happens. I think there's there's a couple of ways that, that this can go wrong. I think in, in, many times, and certainly in this new space of IoT, um, the driver is not a business problem. But the driver is to uh, get a hand on new technologies, to innovate for the sake of innovation. So in, in that sense, it, it, it certainly does happen. And 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 that's all fair, right? It's just not what we're focusing on. But what we also see is that if if the if the solution is more expensive than the problem, then you will likely not scale up. And those first engagements, getting to know a client, building building relationship with that client with a view of first proving the value and then scaling up simply doesn't happen. So that's in some sense a waste of time of our team, but also for the clients. So again, that business case is a vital element in the preparation process.
0: All right. Excellent. Now, how did you come about this process? Did you learn some of the, some of the implementation paths and the issues with them through experience? Did you, Envision how this was going to work and it just worked perfectly from the beginning. How would you come about this implementation process so that it's practical and yields results?
1: Well, I think the marketing story is that we did it right the first time and every time, right? But it really started uh, with the first 20 or so. Uh, we, well, by now we've implemented on over 100 sites. And, and again, the first 20 or so, uh, what we recognize is that implementations can go wrong in many ways. Right. Uh, remember the many stakeholders, the many parts that have to work together. So we started analyzing the, the issues that could happen during an installation. And what we realized is that the good ones, they had one thing in common is that they were both carefully planned and c- carefully uh, scripted. Uh, so that's really what we started doing. Started looking at the individual steps, the individual stakeholders, how they work together and script that approach. And we then set a very simple goal. We wanna install 100% of our installations first time right, meaning that we don't have to get back uh, to to replace a sensor or something like that. So first time right means we go in, we install, we go out and the next meeting is about uh, the dashboard and not about the sensors themselves. And then we track the results, solicit feedback from clients and incorporate that feedback on an ongoing basis. So it really is, and I believe it really is around scripting and making checklists, those kind of things. Because while every client is unique in its own way, on a sort of a high level, you know what needs to be done. And we've seen what can go wrong and know how to deal with that by by preparing to not encounter
0: that issue. All right. Excellent. Now... When you're working with these clients, you mentioned earlier that, you know, that initial focus area, if there's no return there, it's not going to scale up, stuff like that. How do you help or how do organizations decide on where to start or pilot this implementation? Is it just critical assets or is there other factors that we want to consider?
1: Well, I think that there are many, many types of projects, many reasons to um to, to, to implement IoT technology, and in our case, monitoring technology for rotating equipment. Um, but most of them are either uh, focused on solving a specific monitoring problem. Uh, for instance, I have an issue with this type of pump, uh, can you please uh, implement your solution? Or uh, a first rollout is more in a sort of a pilot, pilot approach where a client aims to increase the tools in their toolbox of monitoring tools, right? Because they've all worked with vibration and many with oil analysis and acoustic, but uh, electric signature analysis or motor current signature analysis is relatively new. So um, when it comes to where to focus on implementation uh, for specific problems, the focus is on that problem. It's uh, think for instance, of uh, ArcelorMittal's uh, hot strip mill in Ghent in Belgium, Uh, Plates of steel run across a conveyor system. Those plates of steel can be up to 1000 to 1500 degrees Celsius. So they really needed a specific solution for their problem. And uh, electric signature analysis installs inside the motor control cabinet, not on the asset in the field. So this was realistically the only solution they could do, and that determined the focus. Now. The other sort of approach where a client aims to test a new technology with a view of finding out where it is the best technology for their situation and scale it up, uh, basically to grow the number of tools that they have in their toolbox. Um, we, we tend to want to um, agree on a determined predetermined pilot phase, usually six to 12 months, right? And um, f- for, for monitoring technologies, what you usually want to prove in that time frame is that you can effectively detect failures uh, weeks or months in advance so that they can schedule inspections, repairs, or replacements before their asset fails. So for those pilot uh, environments, pilot engagements, we want to focus on bad actors, things that fail more often than others, and also on relatively simple assets, uh, for instance, conveyors, pumps, or fans. And the reason for that is that bad actors uh, give you more opportunities to prove the value of that solution and for the client to better understand how this responds to failures. And relatively simple assets um, are easier to tune the algorithms for. We typically have a two to six weeks tuning period, but simpler assets, simpler tuning takes less time. And all of that really is to uh, make sure that, that when you want to focus on the value of the technology, you're not really want to look for the edge cases, right? You don't want to uh, you don't want to um, monitor assets that have been running smoothly for twenty years because the chance that they'll fail is simply uh, smaller. And then, from an installation uh, perspective itself, you know, typically start with four G uh, because that's easier to uh, connect to than than a local network because of uh, some of the uh, data governance rules you're looking for nice big cabinets that have room for for sensors and so on so so um, focused on um, uh, bad actors focused on simpler assets and easier to install and knowing that if you've proven the value and you can look for the more difficult cases but then you've built the momentum based on that first experience
0: so a very Thought out, well detailed process, lots of factors to consider. One of the question, one of the things you mentioned though, is that that pilot process, you said eight to 12 months and I agree yeah. 100% with that time frame. However, the only challenges I even, I get for some of the other stuff that I do that isn't technology implemented or related is why is that so long? Why can't I speed that up? Why can't I make that faster? Do you encounter that type of thing? Absolutely.
1: Yes, and, and, and it is possible, but it also takes a considerable larger investment. Um, you know, if, if you if you take, let's assume as part of the pilot, the client has a goal of detecting three failures, right? And and one it could be a fluke. Two is all already better, but if you have three failures and you detect all three, then that sort of builds that trust in the solution. Now, what you generally see if you look at a drivetrain, so variable speed, drive, motor, shaft, coupling, shaft, uh, asset or or, uh, uh, load, um, then a a good rule of thumb is that in in most industries, about 10% of them will fail each year if you look across all of those items, right? So if you say you want to conclude your pilot in in, in 12 months and you want three failures, then you need to install on uh, 30 assets. Which is obviously fine. But if you want to install it on, uh, if you want a conclusion in six months, you need to double that to 60. So it is all possible, but it all depends on, on, on the client's appetite for a larger or a smaller pilot. And in that sense, I think the goal of the pilot should determine the scale at which you implement. But if you implement only on three machines, you can't expect one of them to fail, usually.
0: Yeah, and it goes back to those that old project uh, management triangle, right? Resources, quality, uh, and speed, essentially, or time. So we can go faster, but it's either going to require more resources or yeah. the quality of it may be less.
1: Now, it's interesting that you say that, James, because I, I think many times when we speak to clients about what they're looking for in, in digital transformation or in, in, um, in, in the reason why they pilot new technology is because... If, if, if you implement digital transformation well, you tend to see uh, positive benefits when it comes to uh, reduction of uh, w- resource waste, reduction in energy waste, uh, h- likely higher throughput. And what they're looking for really is to remove the trade-off. So they said, it, today we can say we can make a sustainable product of high quality, but not very fast or not very cheap. It's like, We have these three items, pick two, good, fast, sustainable, fast, sustainable, but not good, and so on. And they're really looking for to remove those trade-offs, to say, I want to pick three. I want to make things sustainable, of high quality, at an acceptable price. So I hope that will happen to project and implementation management as well.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out Iridicio.com for a free copy of their ebook a smarter way of preventative maintenance. This ebook will allow you to review your current maintenance program and eliminate the non-value-added work you're doing, which is most likely causing you more downtime than it is preventing. www.irridicio.com When you're working with these clients and we've picked the area, how do you ensure the company is realizing value from the technology? Is there more to it than just cost savings? For example, you mentioned energy reduction. Yes, there's a cost value with that, but... Um, is there safety value? Is, how do we make sure they're getting all that value from this technology?
1: Well, I think we, we invest in that. I mean, uh, one of the most important elements is not the implementation itself, but how it is being used on a day-to-day basis and, and how, how our clients can use it in such a way that it can uh, provide sustained value over longer periods of time. So ideally, and, and and nowadays as a standard uh, during that sales process, we have de- established that there is a proper technical fit so that in principle, we can deliver on the problem so we can solve the issues for which they invest this tool or for which they're trying this tool. Um, we've also established that the business case is positive, right? Again, if, if a solution is more expensive than the problem it solves, it's probably not going to you know, deliver value over the long run. Um, But then we want to ensure that a client uses the tool as it is intended or or at the very least, as it provides value to them. So um, we focus on training. Uh, It is a highly usable application in our case. You don't really need training, but it's still valuable to spend 30 to 45 minutes walking through the dashboard and telling clients how we calculate specific values, why we made some design choices in the dashboard and so on. So, so it starts to uh, you know so they start to really to own the application for themselves. And then um, what we do is we schedule quarterly reviews of the results. So we take for instance the business case and compare it to the results. Are we delivering on our promise? How are we doing? What do you think we should better do better or differently? And that, you know, that's a pretty open quarterly review, really asking for feedback and, and also uh, solicit honest feedback, right? If we're not doing well, please let us know so we can address the issue. Um, and I think maybe most importantly uh, is, is that we don't assume the algorithms to work perfectly. We have a team of maintenance engineers and customer success managers that review every um, detection that we have, communicate with clients about those detections, offer support where needed. Uh, So for instance, our maintenance engineers give an asset owner a call when we detect something to offer also additional insights. So it is about open communication with our client, learning how they use the tool, uh, if needed, provide support, but really about human to human conversations. Uh, and that really is appreciated by our clients. So it's not, it's, it's its in fact the opposite of automation. It is about investing in a maintenance engineering team that made sure that the clients get the best ma- information possible and also is able to use that within their own sort of paradigm.
0: All right, excellent. So. You know, like you said, those, why did we design a dashboard that way? That human-human conversation, that's one of the ways that value is delivered because dashboards can be customized for the unique needs of individual clients, understanding their unique problems or business drivers, can modify certain dashboards and how information is reported or what that information means Yeah. to enable the customers to get that true value. Yeah. Now, with this type of technology, there's usually, like we talked about, IT issues. Mm -hmm. whether it's it not understanding misalignments whatever it may be how have you overcome these and is it important to get it involved early in the project yes
1: it is very important absolutely so um you know we handle uh, sensitive customer data so they have to feel comfortable with the way we do that and and they have to verify how we handle that data so i believe Uh, For instance, an ISO 27001 certification is a good start, right? You have to focus on the basics to get that that certification. Um, You also have to implement tools where they believe you fall short. Uh, So you have to get your stuff in order, really, uh, just to get that certification. It's a signal to a uh, a client that that at least the ISO organization believes we know what we're doing. But it's only a good start because my my experience is that um, security people are, um, let's say, skeptic and and rightfully so. Right. Their job is to be skeptic. Their job is to scrutinize uh, how others handle their sensitive data. So I think openness uh, is 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 key as well. Um, We have uh, several documents explaining how we, what we do with the data, what type of data we collect, how often we send it, how we ensured that nobody can touch the gateway. Um, that, the fact that we don't touch the IT or OT network of a client helps here as well, because there's simply no way we can control a client system. But still you're capturing things like running hours, load, speed, uh, the number of assets that you have. So it is sensitive data. And again, openness uh, really is key. Uh, and 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 uh, uh, this is also something we scripted, an IT information session, where you really go through the architecture of the solution. And again, explaining why you made some design choices and how that helps to build a more secure uh, service, but also a better service. So involve them early, be open, and start with an ISO or related certification to signal that you're on the good path.
0: All right. Excellent. Some good words of wisdom there. I know various clients have their own certi- or verification or certification program before they allow certain IT solutions, that sort of thing. So try and get ahead of those, rely on some of the ISO certifications as well. Yeah. Now, once we get these IT issues resolved, do successful organizations typically manage the installation of the sensors themselves, that sort of thing? Or is that a partnership or do they generally just have you guys do it? How does that work? Well, we,
1: we basically have three options. Uh, number one is that the, the client client's team install themselves. Um, we ha- also have contractors uh, of, the, of our clients that install the solution or one of our partners. Um, it, 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 it's a bit like uh, in the old days when you bought a VCR or in, in our case, a Betamax video recorder. You know, you would unpack it, plug it in. and and without reading the manual. And then most of the time it went perfectly well. Sometimes it didn't. And then I would blame the machine, right? So in that sense, the sensors are, and the whole system is easy to install. It is built in such a way that it is hard to make mistakes. Um, But as engineers are, you know, you you may be under pressure for time. So it really is important to, um, uh, to prepare well, to follow the steps. And we support that Um, and and that's why we don't really have a preference, uh, whether the client installs, whether a contractor of the clients or one of our partners, uh, we make sure that we, that we are involved in the project management and are providing on the ground support if needed to, again, to focus on that first time, right. Installation.
0: All right. Excellent. Now. Once we have all those centers in place, how important is training when we're using a cloud-based AI platform? Are we training them on what the dashboard is? What does this mean? Are we training them on the AI side of things? What is that training, and how important is it?
1: Well, I, I, a little bit of of both. So we train them on the dashboard and on the way things work under the hood, and and I think it is important um, because the you know it is simply um, interesting to most of our uh, clients to understand how you get from an uh, electrical waveform to detect a mechanical failure in the driven equipment, for instance. So it, it is an opportunity to dive deeper into the underlying technology, uh, which also helps them to understand why, for instance, you will de- detect cavitation on the pump, um, but bearing damage on that same pump will be more, uh, will be later in the process, will be more tricky, right? And also with regards to many of those metrics that we monitor, think of running hours, start stops, how do you calculate them and how can you use them in your day-to-day operations? Um, so for instance, we track the number of running hours. Uh, and if you look on a conveyor system with you know, 50 powered rolls, for instance, if all of them have uh, 100 running hours and one of them has 101, that clearly is a sign that something is going wrong, so that may not be a condition, but it's interesting to learn those kind of tricks. And in that sense, it's pretty self-explanatory. It, you know, our maintenance engineers will reach out uh, if there is a problem and will be able to answer any of the questions that arise at that moment. But uh, I think it's just interesting with this new technology to get a sense of the background and to understand some of these tricks of the dashboard that are useful on a day-to-day basis.
0: Yep, absolutely. How they use that dashboard, how they use that information, understanding how some of this stuff works under the hood. They don't have to be data scientists, but have a basic understanding can go a long way and understanding what this stuff means when it's pulled together. Exactly. Now, what can organizations do to ensure that the project moves past the pilot or focus area and expands out into the larger parts of the business and is a long term part of their strategy?
1: No, i think it's it's mostly about creating and sustaining uh, momentum uh, so you know we typically in in the in the in the sales process we create momentum by focusing on relevant assets relevant business cases uh, really uh, where where the tool can provide most value uh, focusing on a good technical fit that if there's a problem you will detect it well ahead of of of, of, an, of an upcoming failure uh, and it's also important again to select a pilot site where there are bad actors so that in those first uh, six to 12 months, you can actually see in practice how you detect a mechanical failure on, a, on an electrical uh, signal. Um, so the first phase is really around proving that the concept worked in, works in their specific environment. And then we sustain that momentum by sharing the successes um, our you know by, by staying in regular contact, by creating reports that allow our clients that typically had t- took the risk in the, within their teams to implement this new technology to share their their successes within their own uh, environment, but also to be open about issues and misses. Right. So if we've done something wrong, we schedule a meeting to learn from that, to acknowledge our mistake, to make sure that we do everything in our in our uh, in our capabilities to make sure it doesn't happen again, uh, and and to really be open about that as well. Um, and then, th- thirdly, we have in we have a, a customer success team that d- drives both adoption um, and and uh, works with our clients to maximize the value by looking for opportunities to uh, to increase deployments across our sites in in Europe and the US and Asia and so
0: on. All right, excellent. Now. We've talked a lot about the practical implementation of technologies, lots of very good points, you know, getting IT involved early, having that good plan, having it scripted, very detailed, a lot to take away. What is the one action you want our listeners to take away from the conversation today around implementation, adoption of technology, those types of things?
1: Well, I have three, if you, may, if I may. All right, so- I'm, I'm good with three. <laughs> number one is, is, is really make sure that the goals of the pilot are well defined and that the pilot is set up for success. So schedule that technical assessment to make sure that there's a good technical fit. Schedule that value assessment to make sure that if you're successful, you create enthusiasm because of the value that it brings. And make sure that you involve IT early in the process. So that's number one. I think number two, also schedule regular meetings. So first, typically a one hour meeting per quarter with our clients to ensure that the project is on track, that the value is delivered and that they're happy with what we do. And if we do something wrong, that we acknowledge that and, and do what we can to make sure it doesn't happen again. And then number three is that expect also that adopting new technologies, a new way of working is not just about a successful implementation, but it's also really around people and culture. And I think the capabilities trap really is a systems thinking approach to adopting new technologies that dives a little bit deeper into that cultural aspect of adopting new technologies. But James, as we agreed, more on that uh, later.
0: Yes, we are going to report, record another podcast in the coming weeks around the capability trap and what it means to company culture. How do we make this work? How do we adopt technologies? All those great things. So more to come on that. Now, yes. Given given the current situation in the world, I'm not sure how many conferences you're out doing, those types of things, but where can people f- find out more about you, the company, the technology, all these other great things that you guys are doing?
1: Well, we publish most of our content on, uh, on LinkedIn, and we've just uh, updated our website to uh, samotics.com. That's S-A-M-O-T-I-C-S.com, S-A-M-O-T-I-C-S scom com, uh where we have... Uh, Lots of content around technology, around um, day-to-day use of technology tools, uh, around AI and how that relates to maintenance. So the website and LinkedIn are good sources. We also have
0: Twitter, but um, we need to do more there. All right, excellent. These are great resources. I will make sure to put them in the show notes. Now, one last thing I always like asking all of our guests. Do you have any favorite resources you want to share with our listeners, whether it's a book, an article, a website that relates to whether it's the practical implementation of technology, the culture side of the change, AI, whatever it is. Do you have any favorite resources?
1: Yeah, yeah. I I love Reliability Web. Uh, I think, you know, Terry O'Hanlon and his team uh, really are building a community of uh, maintenance enthusiasts that publish great, uh, great content as well a great resource to stay updated on trends and technologies and maintenance. So reliability web is something that I look for, that I uh, am interested, that I regularly visit. And I also think that, um, uh, interestingly enough, a high-end consulting firm, think of McKinsey, Bain, uh, Boston Consultancy Group, they're really focused on publishing great content about uh, production, reliability, and how that relates particularly to digital transformation. And then um, one book that I recently reread that I wanted to mention is Kevin Kelly's What Technology Wants. Uh, it's, it's a, it, it, Kevin Kelly looks at it like, uh, from the lens of a, sort of an anthropologist to how technology is evolving and how it has evolved historically. Uh, and he says there's, there are patterns into where technology is going. So for those interested in in maintenance technology, sensors, AI, it's really interesting to read Kevin Kelly what technology wants. Because, you know, the things he describes are just, I don't know, very, very interesting to consider uh, on long walks on the beach when we can do that again. Uh, Just, you know, just to have a, I think somewhat um, almost a, a philosophical look at technology. So I love that anyway.
0: Well, that's definitely a book I am going to have to add to my growing pile on my nightstand. <laughs> um, definitely have to add that shortly now. Now you got me intrigued. Well, well, S- well, Simon, it's been a pleasure talking to you about technology, implementing it. How do we get it successful? All those various things. Looking forward to having another podcast with you shortly around that capability trap piece. But Thank you so much for taking the time today to share with us your knowledge and your expertise in this process and the technology. So thank you.
1: Thank you too, James. Thanks for the opportunity uh, to talk with you and uh, looking forward to uh, speaking to you again.
0: I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.irridescio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.